With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever you are in the world. Today, we have another awesome YPOer slash YWaler with Tammy Camp from Stronghold. So uh, really interesting one. She's been around in the business for, for quite a while, so I can absolutely give her OG status. Um, clearly, clearly um, has a lot to say about the industry, is very involved in the industry, and, and has pushed the adoption of the cryptocurrency blockchain technologies quite a bit over the years. But Tammy, let's go ahead and start with kind of like, how did you get here? And, you know, prior to Stronghold, what was really your first exposure into cryptocurrencies and kind of blockchain that, that got you this hooked? Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me today. I know that um, I, I'm super excited to, to chat with you and the, and the YPO community as a, as a newer member. So I'm, I'm super excited and, and thanks again for having me. Um, Absolutely. As a, yeah. As it relates to how I got into crypto, well, um, I got in, I first learned about blockchain in 2011. Um, I have been a serial entrepreneur for basically almost my entire career. Um, and I, uh, you know, I grew up in the South. So I grew up in Alabama and Georgia. And, uh, you know, I had my first first company uh, right out of college and it was a technology company and and I'm, I'm actually technical so um, I've been writing software since I was six and uh, you know I moved to Silicon Valley in 2011 because you know I knew that to kind of level up uh, what I was doing in the world and kind of to be around the um, some of the top innovators, I, I, I knew I had to make the move. And so in 2011, I moved to Silicon Valley and I went to this program called Singularity University, which is uh, a program that teaches, you know, there was 80 of us that got accepted into this program. It was a think tank to kind of pull together uh, next generation leaders to teach them about exponential technologies and how they can impact the world positively and, um, you know, impact a billion people positively in 10 years, right? That, that was the whole thesis around it. And so we learned about things like global health and education and space and security and, um, and it was it was an amazing program. It was three months long, and it was like one TED talk after another. And so, uh, one of the one of the, the the professors, if you will, his name was Ralph Merkel, and he was teaching us about uh, Bitcoin and uh, cryptography. And Ralph Merkel is um, it, within crypto is actually quite popular because. Uh, of Ethereum, you know, if you hear of Merkle trees, that is the Merkle trees that Vitalik named after this very guy, Ralph Merkle. So he's, again, he's a famous cryptographer. He created public-private keys, how we know it on the internet today. And so he was there 
back in 2011 teaching us about about uh, this new new protocol bitcoin and so that's where i first learned about it and you know we were we were super excited we we were trying to figure out how to buy it and you know at that time we couldn't you know, quite figure it out. And, and then fast forward to 2013, um, it, you know, it was becoming a little more popular. I kept hearing about it in the news. And so I was like, how does this work? I, I, I just gotta, I'm one of those people that who my learning style is, is such where I just kind of jump in and, you know, figure out uh, the nuts and bolts of, bolts of it by building it. So what happened was I started building Bitcoin miners um, and Litecoin miners and Dogecoin miners and programming them to mining pools in 2013. So, um, so that's that's how I learned about Bitcoin by by actually like building out the rigs by, with CPU cards and then programming them. And um, Dogecoin was really you know kind of taking off at that point in 2013. Now it was yeah, no, I I remember the Reddit the the entire Reddit you know like making the joke of Bitcoin and everything that that's they were right. doing. It was so much fun, and I ended up um, there was somebody who had the software on Twitter where you know you could there was a tip it was a tipping Dogecoin bot, um, and so funny enough I was you know kind of playing around with it because I had a lot of Dogecoin at that at that point and. Um, you know, I became one of the largest tippers on 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 Twitter with Dogecoin because it was just so much fun. You know, I was thought I was like getting everybody into crypto and things like that, and um, and and so at that point, um, there were these you know two people, uh, Jen McCaleb and Joyce Kim, which. Um, you know, the Jed McCaleb is actually the, the, the inventor of Ripple. Um, and he was starting something, you know, he was kind of peeling off from Ripple and starting something of his own. And it was at that time, it was Jed's secret Bitcoin project. Right. And so they kind of call me in. Um, and I remember it so, so, uh, vividly because it was, you know, they call me in and they're like, come to our offices. And I'm like, where is it? And it was in this car garage in, in the mission here in San Francisco, you know, an auto repair shop. So I'm going up to this auto repair shop and I'm meeting with them and I'm like, this is, this is like very interesting. And, and at that point they're like, oh, okay. I, I really like the work that you've done, you know, on Twitter. Why don't you come and be our first head of growth at Stellar. And that's, and that's how I became a professional in 2014, um, uh, you know, in, in, in the blockchain. So I, I was the first head of growth there. We put on, um, I think 4 million users there um, in a little over four months. And, and at that point, that was a lot of usage. And so um, it kind of, uh, you know, we, we knew we had to kind of rewrite the software to kind of take to, to, to kind of take that capacity. And so, uh, you know, that's actually the time when I met my co-founder, Sean of Stronghold. He was actually the first developer ever on Stellar because he was previously um, a Ripple gateway at the time. And so he launched on Stellar um, a little, just six hours after it had launched. And so um, I used to service his account, and that's how we met. And he was at that point, you know, like a child prodigy, uh, med school dropout. I think he might have been all of nineteen or twenty then. <laughs> and and um, 
And, which, and so, which, which back in the day, which, which just, yeah, just a few years ago, 19 or 20, we would have said, oh my God, he's, he's so young. And now I'd say, wow, that's a really mature Web3 developer. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, some, some of the kids that we, that we interview around here, I mean, they're, they're you know, waiting on getting their driver's license, but they've already got you know, multi-million dollar protocols deployed on chain. It's, it's really interesting uh, you know, to, to hear that. So again, I'm sorry for interrupting. Please yeah, no, no, I love it. I love it. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's where we met. And in 2000, you know, I, after, after they, you know, still need to do some rewriting. And so there was really kind of nothing for me to grow at that time. And so I actually went to, um, a venture fund called 500 startups where I led their, uh, Silicon Valley, growth and marketing curriculum. They're one of the larger accelerators here in Silicon Valley and, uh, and also kind of, uh, you know, was the point of contact for, you know, some of the developer tools, uh, the portfolio companies that had that were developer tool related, um, also blockchain related and fintech related. So, um, you know, I was there for a couple of years and then I went to NFX Capital where I helped them raise their first hundred, hundred fifty million dollar fund, um, and it was at that time that was in two thousand seventeen. So, um, two thousand seventeen, there was a lot of excitement about crypto again, right? Um, because that was when you know ICOs were were quite popular, and um, you know I was investigating and researching a lot of a lot of those, and um, I was like, you know what? There's there's actually not you know there's still there's still a problem that needs to be solved, at least for me and my co-founder. And we're like, oh, okay, like we we really think that, you know, there needs to be something that kind of serves, uh, you know, f- modernizes payments um, in a way that that gives financial inclusive access uh, to all, right? And um, and so we started Stronghold with a, with a premise. I mean, that's our mission. That's our vision. Our, our mission is to provide fast, secure, and accessible financial services for all. And our vision is to create a more connected uh, uh, global economy. And so, uh, you know, that... So, that- so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause you there before we jump into Stronghold, cause, which is a fabulous story, but I'm not going to let you give away, okay. get away from, from the previous history because there's a lot there that I want to unpack a few things sure. so people understand um, because, of, because of your time in there. And again, there's a few statements you made. You started, you know, about 2010, 2011 was your first exposure to Bitcoin mm-hmm. and it was really complicated. And in fact, you know, again, I, the reason why I can't claim OG status is because I threw away 100 Bitcoins because I couldn't figure out how to interact with the Bitcoin node. And I just said, forget get it. It's, you know, who cares? This is just a test. Um, and it, it's, I'm glad to, I'm glad to at least hear that, that you as a programmer struggled with it as well. Um, but, but when you, when you got back into it in 13, did you, was it kind of the, did you fully believe at that point or did it still take you some time to really, to really dive into the whole cryptocurrencies? Well, I was just kind of just figuring out how it all worked. I mean, that's why, you know, as I mentioned, like my style of learning was, okay, why is this interesting? Um, you know, how, 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 is, how are some people claiming that this is, you know, a, a trend that will, um, you know, change uh, the way that, you know, payments are settled or how we exchange value. So, um, 
You know, I think that a lot of people kind of fall in love with this idea of, um, you know, decentralization and, and, uh, and this collaborative community of, um, you know, not having to rely on any one central, uh, centralized, uh, you know, governing aspect. Um, I, I think a lot of people fall in love with that. Um, now that's not my opinion today, but that's certainly why I, I fell in love with like the, the idealism of that. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of technically yeah. jumped in, um, just so I could understand it a little more. And so, you know, if you would have come to my house in 2013, you would have seen, you know, Bitcoin miners sitting in, you know, the, the corner of my living room, trying not to overheat, um, sitting, <laughs> in, sitting next to a window so I could crack it. And, um, so, 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 you know, the, the, the cold air could come in, yeah. cool it down. And so, yeah. Uh- so that's fabulous. So and then and then stronghold. What what year did you say that that you guys founded that? Yeah, two thousand seventeen. Yeah. So what? so you were right there, and 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 to, and just again for the listeners who may not have uh, the information in front of them, when was Crypto Winter kind of officially announced, and and when did when did it end? God, I can't I can't remember because we've been because you were you were right there in the middle of it. Well, yeah, we've I've seen obviously like four or five of them now. Right. So, um, cause there yeah. was one from like 2011 to 2013. And then, then, then it kind of broke ahead in 2013. Um, and then there was another kind of lull in 15, 16. Um, and then 2017, yeah. it was pretty, uh, and 18, it was pretty, um, you know, popular again. It, it has high highs and low lows. And, um, yeah, I think that the folks that are kind of resilient and, uh, you know, kind of stick with it, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how, you know, the more like people vacillate between, um, believing whether, um, you know, it's an impactful technology or not. And I think that's really hard for, you know, just a a beginner to kind of decouple. There's, there's two things about like crypto and blockchain. Like I think a lot of, there's the, the speculative aspect Mm -hmm. about it. And then there's the technology um, that is pretty revolutionary. And so I think a lot of people are curious about the speculative asset of it, but what, I'm super passionate about is really the technology behind um, what it can do and, and having these immutable databases. Um, That's, that's really the, that's really the innovation here. Um, And, and it, and it's early. I mean, you were very early, but I mean, this is where we still sit today. You know, I like to equate that most people, you know that are that are buying and selling cryptocurrencies are more degenerate gamblers than they are actually investors, and the thought of the number of people that are that are buying and selling these cryptocurrencies without having any knowledge of what in the world they are or what they do is is almost an equivalent of like somebody walking into a drugstore and they're just buying and selling gift cards. Some yeah. of them are fancy, some of them have more values, and they're just passing them back and forth. And there's there's very different, you know, uh, you know 
ways that they look at these or ways that they make up that they have better value, but so few people actually utilize those cards and, and understand what they do on chain. Do you feel like that's going to change much? Cause it's, it's, it's kind of hard to get through the hype around it. Or do you think it takes a right, takes a good regulation to pull down the hype meters on these things? Well, again, I think if you want to decouple, right, you're, you're talking about the speculative assets. So you're, yes. what, what I'm hearing you say, right, just let me repeat you, is that you're saying that most of the, the people that are in the market today are typically mm-hmm. speculators. And then, um, you know, say, let's say it's 80% speculators and 20% builders that kind of admire the technology and can see that how the technology can impact the world in a better place in the future. Um, I, I don't know because I'm on the developer side, so I don't actually know like what's actually driving all of the curiosity. I mean, I guess I, I guess I'm now realizing, yeah, maybe it is 80% um, uh, that way. And, yeah, yeah. If that is the case, if that is indeed true, then um, yeah, there's a lot of work to do. You know, by educating people, because it, it really the the value is on the on the technology side. Um, you know, all of these other, you know, the usage and the utility is a is a subset, right? Of of um, the utility of of what you're using it for. Well, I think a lot of it is, is I would say a majority of people today, and again, this is my own statement, it's, it's not backed up by any facts, are a lot like what you were doing back in the day with Doge. It's fun, it's cute, it's exciting, it exposes them to something new. But, but you know, the, you know, and again, I'm not comparing Doge to, to anything else that you're doing today, but it was clearly designed as like a good entry, entry point into, into cryptocurrencies to understand how to hold them, how to sell them, how to move them. Um, but but you know yeah in this industry education is is just so far lacking, and education from a, a variety of standpoints from understanding what what these protocols do um, to also developers to to help you continue to build out the space. Yeah, do you, do you see? Yeah. What, yeah. what do you what are you seeing from your end? Are you seeing more schools yeah. or colleges starting to offer? Um. I, yeah, I think that there's great programs like around like uh, I think Berkeley has really great great programs. I think there are more folks, uh, you know, programs out there. But it's interesting because from my perspective, again, like my my per- perspective has changed over time. Um, I think a lot of developers actually start with Bitcoin, right? Because like you know, it's the most popular one. You know, it's the one that has most adoption um, because it's a transfer of value. But when you start looking at other problems or derivatives, like particularly like the ones that I'm trying to solve, you know, Bitcoin may not be the best um, best technology for the use case that you're trying to solve for. And so that that is certainly the case um, with Stronghold, right? Um, and so I think around 2014, I started looking at other technologies that were faster, more secure, um, were pre-mined, didn't have a lot of, like, since 2013, 14, I knew that because I had built the miners, I knew that um, Bitcoin wasn't sustainable from a, a an energy 
point of view. Like I, it was my opinion that, um, you know, it was not environmentally friendly since 2014. (laughs) And so, you know, I think that, you know, I'll I'll probably get a lot of, you know, pushback for saying that comment, but, um, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and, and defend you and also open it up for, for some clarification on there. So I, it is, it is hard to run any computer or any software service in any way, shape or form from a pure CO2 standpoint and understand the valuation. Um, is proof of, is proof of work a power hungry monster? Um, yeah, absolutely. No one's going to deny it, but I, I, you know, I think that one of the things that it's, it's doing slowly is it's starting to push the adoption of alternative energies. Um, it's starting to push the adoption of, of cheaper, cheaper, um, you know, cheaper power sources, as well as uh, I think we're we're seeing a lot of this now. And, and Tammy, like I said, I don't know how involved you are in, in the mining aspect of the world anymore, but we hear from from Fred Thiel at Marathon quite a bit. Is is being located right next to the power stations and utilizing what would normally be just burnt power, meaning they oh, were just going okay. to throw it away or off gas it, mm-hmm. um, that they can fire up for you know four or five hours. Uh, Bitcoin miners get some use out of it, some some energy usage, which normally would be thrown away. But I, I completely agree with you that the proof of work, um, well, let's, let's hear about it. What's your opinions on proof of work versus proof of stake? Well, again, like, um, I don't have any strong opinions about one or the other. Again, like my, my perspective has changed over time. I think that I, I do like adore Bitcoin just because like it has sparked the curiosity of a lot of folks. So, like I was just thinking about it the other day in a way that I kind of articulate it now is that Bitcoin did its job within blockchains and cryptocurrency because it kind of gave the entire world, um, you know, like product market fit, right? We have product market fit for cryptocurrency with Bitcoin. Now, if you go into, we're still in this, we're still early, right? And so I think that there's all these newer technologies that once you have developers developing on them, then you want to find channel product market fit. And so I think that we're in this, uh, we're graduating, um, we're graduating into this, uh, this new realm where we are finding new use cases. Uh, we're finding like NFTs are, are one of them, right? Um, payments is one of them. And so um, finding the right technology for your, like channel product market fit is, is, is where we are. And it's more exciting today just because we just have more things to choose from, right? Imagine like all the things that we have to choose from today. Um, we have Ethereum, we have Solana, we have Ripple, we have Stellar, we have, you know, Avalanche, we have, you know, all of these like different protocols. And that just wasn't the case in 2013 and 14. And so um, it's, it's re- very interesting to see like how the, um, the industry has evolved over time, uh, but it's still early. Can you imagine that? It's still early. Like I imagine a world in 10 years from now, maybe the things that are popular today, you know, will cycle through and it'll be something, something else that might be more efficient and more, might be more environmentally safe or might have a better developer community. Um, I mean, Solana, they've, they've come out of nowhere. They have a great developer community. You know, there's, it's, it's just really amazing to, to see. So, um, you know, how we know it today is, is 
definitely better than when I started. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen, um, you know, in the next five to 10 years, because I still feel like it's, it's evolving. Um, if you look at, I'll give a good example. If you look at, um, at search, like, you know, web Mm -hmm. 1.0, 2.0, um, you know, Google, Remember, there was Dogpile, there was Yahoo, there was, uh, you know, Excite, there was AltaVista. Like, there was all of these search engines. And then Google just came out of nowhere at the end and kind yep. of took the market, right, for, for search. And yep. you can actually even say the same thing for, for social media, right? There was, there was Friendster, there was High Five, there was... MySpace, remember Tom from MySpace? Was Tom your friend, Jay? Be, being early doesn't always mean you won yeah. the race. You and can absolutely, I mean, and no doubt you can become extremely wealthy by being first in line. But as far as longevity, I think that it's been proven that, that it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't it hurt doesn't to always, kind of wait a second. Yeah, and Facebook, again, same thing, kind of came in, you know, last and, and then kind of took the whole market. So, I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm I'm excited so what, to see what's going to happen. Yeah, so I, I I've got two good questions for you. So let's start with one. So Web one, Web two, Web three is coming. Web one was the computer. Web two is mobile. What do you have? You know, again, cryptocurrencies are part of uh, Web three, but do you have any strong opinions on on how Web three will be actually defined? Well, what I'm hearing, I think everybody defines Web3 as different things, right? Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, some people can say, oh, it's the metaverse. <laughs> um, some people can say that um, Web3 is, you know, Web1 and 2 kind of wrapped together, but, you know, Web3 is more of, you know, having users be rewarded or, or having their ecosystem be rewarded um, and, and paid out. Um, I think everybody has, I, I think everybody has a different definition for it. Um, for so, me, so let me, let me, let me throw out, let me throw out a, a, a decent one that I've heard okay. from, from yeah, another, what do you, uh, what do you think? YPO member. Okay. So web one was defined by the first time that users spent four to five hours sitting in front of a computer screen mm-hmm. doing work in that, in that manner. Web two was is defined by people spending two, uh, four to five hours staring at a screen on the touching, interacting with the screen on their phone, not talking on their phone, but interacting with the screen on the phone. And uh, the the head of HTC development uh, said, you know, very clearly, they spent a lot of time on this. That that Web three will be defined on four to five hours in some sort of AR or VR environments that is absolutely coupled with cryptocurrencies and kind of the decoupling of the traditional financial. Um, world as we or, or metrics as we know today. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? It's hard to think about spending four to five hours in a, in, in a um, virtual world. I believe that half of that is true, right? Okay. I think that some of that, what you're you know what you're alluding to, is kind of like gaming. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. the, a lot of the, the VR, if you look at the meta, the Oculus now, like a lot of most of that is games or um, interacting and, you know, you know, having a conversation very much like how we're, we're having one today. Um, I think it will, again, like channel product market fit, 
right? Yep. I think it'll be useful in some industries, but I don't think it's going to, you know, winner takes all. It's all going to be this way. I think that it's going to be interoperable. And, and that's kind of what we saw for at Stronghold. I think the world yeah. will be interoperable because you're going to have like for us on the payment side, it's like you have your traditional payment rails like ACH and credit card. Those things are never going to go away. Um, they'll, you know, they'll morph into something else, but then you have these new ledgers um, that may be useful in these new channels to have channel part product market fit, but you still need those traditional rails to kind of interact with the banks and, um, and to be interoperable. So what I define as, as web three is that, yes, I think that there are going to be uh, more channels that allow you to be an AR and VR um, but I think there's still going to be email and I think there's still going to be, you know, aspects, relics of web 1.0. Um, oh, of course. And, right. So it's not, it's not, I can't, I can't get rid of email if I try I've, and I've tried really hard. Take all. I think it's a, it's a nice blend and interoperability between the two. That's my belief. That's fabulous. So let's, let's talk about, um, I, let's kind of dive into decentralization versus centralization, and it's a and it's a really interesting topic. And I'd love to hear from from again someone who's been around. And you know, it's it's my personal belief um, that that the rush to decentralization is, is what is is what's kind of messing up a few of these protocols. That you have a very dedicated team, a very centralized team that comes up with the theses. They, they, they get the theses to market and immediately go towards decentralization and, you know, and allowing kind of universal voting and, and um, you know, it's what most of the DAOs are doing today. Um, but you even said, you know, it's interesting on Ethereum now, which is, again, easily the most decentralized protocol or, or probably close to it. I'm sure there's a few others that I'm, I'm not fully aware of. Um, but but what's your what's your thoughts on kind of the longevity of a completely decentralized project versus you know a a probably fifty fifty you know slightly centralized versus a fully centralized blockchain project? Yeah, Let, let's dig into dig into that. Um, what you define as decentralized? So you're saying um, Ethereum is probably the most decentralized one, and in, in- so decent. Yeah, so decentralized for Ethereum, they have the most nodes out there, and and almost anything can you know anyone can run it with a you know home computer, so there's no specialized hardware needed, Um, and and there's a lot of voting on on directions that this company will go. So it's it is uh, majority vote wins, Um, but but everything's on the table. There's nothing that that the a centralized team has said. You know what? I know you voted for this, but we're not going to do that because we don't believe it's for what's the best. Sure. The foundation versus the, 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 the folks that have the notes. Yeah. And so let's dig into more of that. Right. Um, and, and I, I do this to kind of to poke at this idea because th- again, the reason why I, 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 you know, fell in love with all of these things because of it was the idea of decentralization. Um, I'm not sure if all of these are fully decentralized in my point of view, like, Please continue. Let's kind of like dig in on Ethereum or even Bitcoin because it's kind of the same thing, right? Um, you know, they all have governance, which is great. Um, and they all have these mining pools. But I think that if you look 
really look at the nodes and if you kind of dig in on who owns these nodes, I mean, you have, you're right, there is a large long tail of hobbyists that can run these things on their computers. But if you actually look at these networks and kind of really dig in, I think you'll find that, you know, 10, 15, 20 mining companies kind of really operate the network. So is that truly decentralized? You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm. What would, what would be this, your, your, right? your utopia decentralized world? The utopia decentralized world. Um, and this is not my opinion. Like, I think this is a very fact, like fact that, cause I don't, I'm not, I don't think it's, I don't know if I, again, back to like channel product market that I don't think, you know, it's, it's good for some use cases, but then again, like, I don't, I don't, I'm not completely sold that it's um, good for all use cases. Um, that's a good question. I, I think it would have to be maybe a thousand or more independent independent companies, um, independent things okay. that kind of have majority share to be truly decentralized. So, so um, basically that the, the top and percentage this is just holders, like me throwing numbers off my head, right? No, no, it's, it's yeah. I think it's an interesting point. So you're basically saying at, at least four figures sharing the top tier of, yeah. of ownership in a protocol. Yeah. If you look, if you probably look at, I mean, I haven't looked at it anytime soon and you know, I could, I, you know, the last time I looked at it, so I'm just, you know, kind of giving you facts that, you know, that I, I had seen uh, previous, but, you know, if you look back to 80, 20, 80% of, you know, those networks are controlled by like five to 10 mining companies. Yeah. So is that decentralized? <laughs> and, you know, and I, I fully agree. I mean, we saw Bitcoin being, you know, rather decentralized from the mining aspect. And then, and then yeah. this weird push that happened last year with China over, over energy to push to get all these guys into a room together to talk mm-hmm. about energy conservation. And, and all that did was centralize with this Bitcoin mining, you know, consortium, which was exactly what Satoshi didn't want. You know, he wanted anyone to run, run these things. He wanted them all over. And I don't know if exactly he didn't want you know, a, a Bitcoin mining consortium. I don't know that, but it, it seems anti, you know, counterintuitive to what the whole white paper was about. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I know that, uh, I mean, if you look at it, yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm not convinced, you know, that, that Bitcoin, exactly that Bitcoin was ever truly decentralized. And I'm still not really convinced that Ethereum is either. But it's a nice bedtime story. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's such an early technology. There, there's so many things going on here. So let's let's jump into a, a couple other topics that are in and around um, all of this. There, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of FUD. There's a lot of people that that um, you know say cryptocurrency is going to go to zero. There's no long term store of value. It's a Ponzi scheme. What, what's when, when you hear stuff like those, um, and some of these are highly regarded published authors. Um, I think David Rosenthal just published a, a very long paper that I saw floating through the Y Whales channels. Um, you know, and, and again, he picks and chooses what he wants out of out of every uh, out of every paper that he referenced. But you know, he he's very clear that he thinks it's it's 
it's a scam and that it can be changed at any time. Do you believe in the security around Ethereum and, and, and Bitcoin? The security of it maintaining its value? The, secure, the security that, that there is no one source of authority. There's no one source. There's no back door that can go in and just take anything from these wallets, that the protocols are secure. Oh, right. Um, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not a security expert, but um, it seems like, you know, Bitcoin is great for that because they, they have a great foundation and um, they are the way that they kind of push changes through is actually quite slow, which is good, right, for security, because then you can kind of do the proper testing and, um, and then have the proper cryptographers, you know, come in and, and, and do that. So, uh, like, from a security perspective, I don't, I don't think that is the case, right? Um, it's, you know, Bitcoin, again, and Ethereum, they, they have channel market fit. Um, again, going back to product market fit, well, that uh, channel product market fit, you know, that's um, for Ethereum, you know, we have NFTs. So that's that's a good use case. Um, in terms of the store of value, kind of like what, what these, you know, say the Warren Buffetts and the Charlie Mungers of the world, um, you know, I, I do see their point. Right. There's a lot of people that do believe that um, one thing that I think that is different about some of these is that they actually have uh, what we would call a, a, a tribal network effect. Right. So Bitcoin and Ethereum already have a tribal network of bets. Therefore, if you have a large amount of people that believe that it is valued this way, if that belief is still sustained over time, then it's my belief that it won't go down to zero since it's a tribal network effect. It's very similar to the U.S. dollar because the U.S. dollar is not backed by anything. That's because the entire world Whereas the tribal network effect that we believe that, you know, the dollar is the, you know, the, the standard currency, if you will, um, you know, that could change. All of this stuff could change. But as it stands today, because there are so many people that believe this, and it doesn't have to be the Charlie Mungers and the Warren Buffetts of the world, but we have enough people that believe this. Therefore, um, in my opinion, I don't see it going away anytime soon unless that tribe changes its mind. Well, and, and the point I think I'd like to tie into that, and the number one I fully agree with you, is is the younger generation has already accepted this as, as a much more acceptable store of value. Yeah. Um, I've got a 14-year-old, and, and he has absolutely no interest in traditional finance. Um, trades NFTs with his friends and, and, you know, utilizes the blockchain, uh, for, you know, really all his video gaming and, and interaction on, on how they, they, they place their bets with Doge and they, you know, they, they're messing around with, with lots of things. And I think it's very interesting. But the more that they, um, the more that you see this, this past generation, the, the, um, the mongers and the Warren Buffetts and everything else. And to be clear, if I was in their shoes, I wouldn't, I would just, yeah. you know, they're, dismiss they're, it anyway. There's no, there's no valid. time to even think about, exactly. they're, yeah, about, they're, about wanting to get involved. So valid. Yeah. It's so valid, valid. Absolutely. Yeah. See their point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, but there's, but there's absolutely, there'd be no reason they've, they've clearly conquered 
yeah. you know, the, the existing era. And, and everything we're looking at is, is maybe still a decade away. I mean, I, I think that when you really got involved in 2013 and, pro- and started your company in 17, you're thinking it's right around the corner. Like in a few months, this is going to go mainstream. And it has, but I mean, there's still less than what, 2% happened. of the world has yeah. Ethereum addresses? Yeah, that's right. It has, but it really hasn't. It's still, it's still early. Isn't that crazy? Or 10 years in and I'm like, wow, we're still early. We're still very early. You so know, it, it's exciting. So what do, what do you think is the, you know, for, for stronghold, let's, let's be mm-hmm. clear on, on, you know, this is, this is your, your opinion. What will it take for you to feel like stronghold has, has hit mainstream? That you are, you, you're, you're, everyone's beating down your door because you have the cryptocurrency solution. What's going to be the precipice that really pushes that over? Is it the, is it the, the, uh, is it going to be the banks adopting it? Is it going to be, you know, media adopting it? Or is it just going to be kind of bypassing TradFi and just a number of businesses saying, I don't need to start up in the fiat world. I can just go to, go to Stronghold and a number of other suppliers and, still pay my taxes, do everything else, but I don't need to be part of the TradFi world. Right. Um, so just a little bit about Strongholds. Um, you know, we're a developer API company. And uh, as I mentioned previously, again, this might be controversial. Like I still really love the old traditional financial systems because that's how I pay my bills. And, you know, yeah. this is how we do payroll. This is how we run payroll. This is probably how you're paying for this, you know, Riverside software that you're, we, you're we, we are, we are, we are 98% crypto, crypto payments on everything. We, we force ourselves to live in this world. It's not easy. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah. And so I think that, uh, again, I just think it's super, super, super interoperable. And so how we feel strongholds will be uh, successful. Like we, we have, you know, hundreds of hundreds of businesses running on top of us today, but it really is that interoperability. Um, again, my, my belief is that um, it'll be a blend of the two still um, that, you know, you know, cause you still need to pay your taxes. Right. And, and <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know if the U S government or your state or local authorities are going to take, you know, cryptocurrencies anytime soon. So I think that um, if you want to like, I just want to take a step back and decouple it. It's my belief that when people, you know, adopt the technology, then mate like the, you know, we're not in the, you know, while we do have our own cryptocurrency, like, it's the speculative asset is not, um, you know, is not, you know, what we're looking at here. We're looking at the adoption of the technology. And so um, we have hundreds of, of businesses um, running off of our technology, our payment processing, um, and um, which allows access to the traditional rails, but allows businesses to get rewarded in cryptocurrency, right? I think that, you know, they need to get, you know, if, if you get adoption with the cryptocurrency, then, um, you know, if you just get it into people's hands, um, then they'll 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 be more comfortable um, on on what to do with it, or how they feel about it, or how they even want to account for it, how they want to account for it. So, so for us, what success looks like is is just really solving problems, right? We 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 have all these industries that we're um, you know we do uh, you know quite a number of verticals, but it's just allowing people to move value um, from one place to another in the most efficient way. And as long as we uh, continue to, to solve that problem, 
for businesses. Um, and then, you know, we have more and more adoption that that's what success looks like to us is just, just, just solving that problem. Um, and the, you know, our cryptocurrency is a, a nice subset of, um, of that adoption. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk about the coin, the, your, your coin. Is it a coin or a token? Um, I guess it's a currency. Yes. So it's a coin. Okay, very cool. Very mm-hmm. cool. Um, so, so talk to us about kind of the the use case and and how you adopted it, and a little bit of the the tokenomics around it. Sure. So sure. you know how you guys because it's one of those things that I'm, you put it out and it's going to live you know forever out on mm-hmm. out on the blockchain. How did you guys uh, you know what was your thought process around it? Yeah. So we released the token in 2018, and uh, it was. You know, at that time, it was always to kind of um, enhance our, our ecosystem. At that point, we had uh, IBM was one of our first customers. And um, and it was really just to kind of allow some of these more enterprise businesses to 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 have it and and use it for discounted fees or to offset their fees. Um, and that's very similar to it, it's kind of morphed. Um, of how we use it today in our ecosystem. Um, again, we have we have a, you know hundreds of businesses on our platform, and so what we do is we incentivize or we reward uh, we reward businesses that the more payments that they put through our payment processing, like the traditional side, we actually reward them with our cryptocurrency, which is our token, um, and they can either use that token to offset. Um, their merchant processing fees, you know, like the typical 2.9% processing fees. So it's effectively, um, you know, takes that cost basis to zero, right? Um, So, you know, um, basically free payments. And then then, um, they can either use it to offset fees or they can use it for... um, uh, you know, to, to put on their balance sheet. Cause you know, as you, as we were discussing today, they may choose to, to keep it on their balance sheet to, you know, have it, uh, you know, to do what they want with it. And so they can, um, either keep it on their balance sheet or they can lend it to other businesses and earn yield on it through decentralized finance. Um, so they can give other businesses more working capital, Right. So that's another use case is, is DeFi. And then third is is governance, like back to what you were saying, um, you know, for as many people who have hold the token, they can actually vote on, you know, some of the changes or some of the things that we want to do going into the future. So it's, it's very cool. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's really and it's as you create these, you have to just really think, think through like I'm going to be responsible for these for a long time. Um, and, and we see a lot of, you know, people flush, you know, throw out a token and then they don't really know what to do with it. And so, I, you know, it's interesting to hear how yours has evolved over time and it actually has some really great use cases. Um, I used to run a large retail operation and, um, I can tell you, I would have loved to have anything, anything at all that would have offset, uh, offset those fees because that's, that's how you save the bottom line. Yeah. Um, when, when you're talking about running over the rails, uh, you know, you're doing payment processing on this, but you're still using, you know, the banks and ACH. How, which, which network are you on? Which chain are you on? Or, or, you know, let's talk a little bit about kind of the back end. We'll get a little geeky with this. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're interoperable. So, um, we first 
launch on Stellar. Um, no surprise because, you know, that's kind of where we started with, with IBM. And, um, and it is a protocol that's very specific to payments, right? It, it, you know, confirms in three to five seconds, like the transaction fees are, you know, tenths of a penny. Um, and, um, you know, the throughput is like 3000 per second. So it's, you know, very similar to how like a visa would work today. Um, so we, we first started on that. Um, we also issued a portion of the, 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 the token on Ethereum. So, um, you know, we have, we have Ethereum. So it's just like, so it's interoperable between the two. And I think that you'll see in the future that we'll go on other, um, on other, uh, protocols that are more similar or more, uh, more suitable for payments. So you can take your guess on what those things are. You know, there's Solana that's out there today there it's ripple. And, and, you know, if you, you, you know, kind of investigate what, what those look like, um, you know, we're totally open to being on, um, you know, on, on to more, because I think that, you know, for us back to that interoperability, um, I think that it's, you know, you're going to have a lot of different, uh, chains for, you know, different use cases. And we want to build for that. So Tammy with, with stronghold. And again, this is, this is a protocol that you guys launched after having been in, in the industry and asset class for years to solve a very specific problem and a very, and to have some very specific UK use cases for blockchain and cryptocurrencies. So can you give us just the, the broad overview of stronghold, you know, what, what you're doing today and, and kind of where it goes from there? Yeah, absolutely. So stronghold is a, uh, payments and financial services company, right? We identify with as being a fintech company. <laughs> And so what we do is allow uh, businesses to connect to our APIs. So we have a developer APIs um, and we have like an array of, of, of plugins to e-commerce platforms. Um, but we allow everybody to kind of connect to our payment processing platform to, to, um, to process payments either in ACH or credit cards. Um, but we also allow these developers to have access to other more modern payment rails. Um, and so a lot of our use cases today, um, we do process traditional payments, but they earn rewards. Like all the businesses that kind of process payments through us, they earn rewards in the form of cryptocurrency for, um, uh, for the more, uh, the more payments that they process through our payment processing, they earn rewards. Right. Um, and they can use, those rewards to offset fees. So imagine all of those merchant processing fees that um, every business has to has to pay for. Um, we can, you know, use those. They can the the, the business can use those to, to offset fees in the form of the token, or they can um, take those uh, take that value and you know, stake it and put it in the form of decentralized finance so they can borrow it or, I mean, so they can lend it to other merchants on the network so they can earn yield off that balance. Um, so because we're, we're a payments processing company, we, uh, we actually, you know, have a lot of data, right? We see like how much, you know, people can, how much people transact 
over a, certain, a given period of time. And then we allocate, you know, risk scores, if you will. Um, and we're, you know, maybe the Oracle of, of, of the risk score. And so we're, we allow these, uh, these businesses to kind of, you know, earn yield to, 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 they loan that value to another business in the form of decentralized finance. So we're super excited about that. And then three, um, it's used for governance. So the more, the more, um, cryptocurrency that you have, SHX, the more that you have voting power to kind of, um, you know, vote on what's going to happen next in the stronghold ecosystem. So just so everyone uh, who's listening understands, who would be your, you know, co- a couple of your main competitors? Would it be kind of the the TransUnion uh, traditional uh, credit card swipers, or who who would, if somebody wants to say, I want to use uh, blockchain technology in <clears throat> in our company, um, but they again, from the CEO perspective, they may not under they may not know sure. exactly where this fits into their pipeline. Yeah, sure. So it would be. Um you know, we're very similar to like a Stripe or we're very similar yeah. to like a Diwala or a Square or um, an Adyen or, um, you know, a Fiserv or FIS. So a, you know, a payment processor. So, so absolutely, you know, regardless of what your business does, B2B, B2C, um, you, you're managing those rails on on chain, and as well as rewarding. And uh, for for more, the more usage you have, the higher the rewards in stronghold tokens, which again then can be used to offset your fees, okay. which just goes straight to the bottom line. And I looked at your 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 fees right off the bat, and they're already right in line with with every single one of those competitors you just said. So that's awesome. Yeah. Do, um, so as far as it, it, everything that's kind of going forward and, and looking ahead with Stronghold and the payment processing system, who's where's the biggest industry that really could benefit from from utilizing this this rail system? Is it people that have more international business, um, or is it really anyone that can that would benefit from from this technology? Oh, I think it's you know so many different use cases, right? There's so many use cases that. Um, that are kind of underrepresented and underserved today. Um, you know, if you look at things like alcohol distribution, right? Um, there's a lot of regulation around alcohol distribution and, um, you know, you have to be 21 to receive, um, to receive alcohol because that's, that's the law, you know? <laughs> um, and so, you know, not all banks are willing to, to take on um, folks that are, for example, alcohol distributors, um, because they have that extra layer of regulatory um, complexity around it. And so, um, you know, it's a lot of that. And so if you see it, it, you know, if something has a little more regulatory um, complexity around it and it's not served by a lot of the mainstream banks, I think that that's, that's, those are great examples of, of where, where it's very useful. So, you know, back to your like cross-border payments. Yeah. A lot of banks don't allow you to do cross-border payments or allow businesses that do cross-border payments to, to, to operate within, within their, um, within their bank. Um, so it's, it, it, it tends to be ones that have a little more regulatory lift. Um, and so I can just start rattling off, you know, what those are, but I, I think you, I think you get the point. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, so and, and I always say like, look, this has nothing to do with yeah. taxes. 
Yeah, yeah. always pay your taxes. Yeah. It has to do. It has to do with the the blockades. And and again, a quick story, which I'm sure you can appreciate. I had to receive in not not send. I needed to receive in from a foreign bank to 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 one of my accounts. And I said, when we asked the banker, we need international wire instructions. They sent me a form to complete to ask where it was coming from. And it was not a large amount, right. but they were very clear that they wanted to understand where I was receiving this money from and why. And I, I just, that that's but not okay. Very, well, it is okay. <laughs> so it's okay. So well, I, I, you know, there, okay. there's, so, yeah. so, so here, let me give you a perspective. It's actually okay, Good. right? Because there's things like OFAC that exists. There's sanctions that we have to mm-hmm. follow in the payment world. Um, and those still apply to us. What is amazing about the blockchain technology is that you wouldn't have received the form asking where it was yeah. come from, that where it's coming from. Like if it's on technology, then you can actually see where the sending bank is. And if it is in the, the regulatory technology is what's so amazing about about this. So if you see it's from a place that is on the OFAC sanction list, then you can block it, right? Um, it's it's the regulatory yep. technology that is so robust. So instead of you getting a form, it could have been, hey, is it, you know, received from one of these countries? If it is, is then let it go through. If it's not, then we send you a nice email and, and kind of, you know, point back to, um, you know, this isn't, you know, acceptable in this jurisdiction, and and then off you go. But it's amazing. The the regular that's what excites me most is is actually the 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 regulatory technology that that can um, be programmed into into these payments. It's it's so rich. It's so amazing. How how do we educate the regulators? Um, I did a I did a, a interesting podcast with um, some auditors. Uh, mm-hmm. cryptocurrency auditors. So you can imagine um, how detailed of a conversation that was. Mm-hmm. And and they were very clear that when they deal with uh, crypto, crypto funds, VC funds that deal in cryptocurrencies, that the regulators have no idea what to do. There's no book, there's no glossary. They don't understand the difference between USDC, USDT, and DAI. And, and they mm-hmm. just, yeah. you know, everything kind of stops there. Um, how do we how do we get past that? How do we educate? And, and does it take a, an administration that just is is blockchain friendly, or are we going to be fighting this for a few years? It's going to be time. I think there are some amazing initiatives. Um, let's see. I think uh, I just interviewed someone, Sheila Warren from the Crypto Coalition Institute. Um, a lot of people are doing you know amazing work in Washington to educate our um, you know, within the U.S., right, to, to educate, um, you know, some policy there. But think of this policy. This policy is global. So whatever jurisdiction that you're in, um, you know, there will be probably nuanced different regulation for each um, jurisdiction. And as long as we talk to our policymakers um, within those jurisdictions, I think that uh, we can get there. There are some jurisdictions that are much more friendly than others. Um, and it'll take, you know, you know, for example, it might take New Zealand, uh, uh, you know, 
a, a shorter period of time to kind of adopt some of these uh, newer regulations versus a country like the U.S. that, you know, has to have, get 50 states to agree to regulate. <laughs> so so I think it's, it's circumstantial, um, but I do see more and more governments and regulators from different jurisdictions adopting it in different ways. And it's, it's, it's super exciting, but it is, it will take time and it will take education. Tammy, what, what else in and around uh, the entire Web3 infrastructure has you kind of excited, whether it's NFTs, NFT projects, communities? What, what's, what in the last few weeks have you just seen online and around uh, the asset class that you thought was just cool? It's really just the adoption, right? I, I think, you know, every time we go through one of these um, waves or you just see more and more developer interest um, on top of these platforms. And that's, that's what it is. I mean, there's more people building on blockchain than there has been ever. And that's super exciting. I think we have a long way to go. Um, and a lot more people from different backgrounds, um, you know, with legal backgrounds, regulatory backgrounds, banking backgrounds, governance backgrounds, um, you know, just, you know, software developers, there's just more and more, people interested in it and with more diverse backgrounds. And I think that, you know, once we, you know, have, you know, more folks around the table that with diverse perspectives, I think that we can build, you know, a, a better, uh, better future on top of the technology. So I'm super excited about, you know, the adoption and the attention that it's getting today. And, and the adoption in, in, in places in the world that do not have TradFi, do not have traditional banking. You know the the uh, banking for the unbanked, I guess is, is yeah. an easy way to say it. So it's Absolutely. it's really great to see, um, you know these these third world and second world countries uh, pushing and adopting cryptocurrencies and around. And and I think it's one of those that um, used in a proper manner and with proper expectations. I, there's you know very little risk. Um, if you're trading and bouncing back and forth and really trying to, you know, leverage or do whatever it is, that's the same as any volatile market. You could, you could get caught in the stock market in a bad way, but, you know, storing and utilizing these, uh, in, in your day-to-day life, I, I think is really interesting. And I'm, I'm excited to see, um, you know, over the next few years, kind of how Stronghold continues to grow, uh, how you guys continue to adopt. Uh, I'm really curious about the other change you guys are going to go on to and, um, you know, I live in a world where I don't think there's one chain to rule them all. I think there's mm-hmm. going to be lots of chains. Uh, I think Polkadot is very interesting with the pair of chains. I think it's a very interesting, but still very early uh, project that they're working on. I, I agree. I think there's just, yeah, there's there's more collective mindshare in, in what we're doing today, and it's great. Fabulous. Well, Tammy, how can, uh, if people have more interest or more curiosity about Stronghold or want to utilize it for their business, uh, what's the best way to get hold of you or uh, straight to Stronghold's uh, sales team? Yeah, so uh, you can find us at stronghold.co and um, there are you know, plenty of uh, product and information pages there to kind of, uh, you know, to, 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 to kind of solve for what, what you're looking to solve for. And um, if you want to learn more about our token, it's at stronghold.co slash SHX. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at Stronghold Pay. Fabulous, fabulous. Uh, Ywells, again, that's uh, Tammy Camp from Stronghold. Thank you guys again, and we'll see you soon. Ywells was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck 
passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.